Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm doing well, man. It feels like we barely got here. So much going on today, right? A ton. It's a, it's a busy last... time. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I think sort of being unquestionably freed from the bonds of isolation has had a big impact on all of us, right? Yeah. I, you know, I just heard over the weekend that last Sunday mm -hmm. was going to be the biggest travel day at the busiest airport in the world. Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport. Yep. Since before the pandemic, 5 million passengers passing through that airport between last weekend and Easter. So we are almost back to pre-pandemic levels of travel just like that. Wow. So an unbelievable release for those people who hadn't already kind of broken out uh, as so many did and traveled last year. Right? Yes. Well, I love your eloquent opening there, eloquent and very observant and savvy. But my brain goes directly to a little dad joke you shared with us in the pre-show that I hadn't heard. And, you know, we've done about a thousand episodes together and you had a nickname playing baseball. So, Greg, putting you on the spot, well, how do folks refer to you? Egg white. Get the yolk. <laughs> I love so when I, I started that. playing Little League, Scott, I was younger than every player on my team because they didn't have, you know, when, when I was a kid, there was yeah. no coach pitch and no t-ball. Right. You started with a second grader throwing a baseball at your body, essentially, especially when you're left-handed because they would always try to throw away from righties so they didn't hit them. Guess what's on the opposite side of the plate from a right-hander? A left-hander. Right. So... I love that. I literally did not have a batting average for my first 11 at-bats. So oh, we got we got to knock in Egg from third base with less than less than two out. So uh, let's right. get him in. Let's get him in. That's All right. right. I can just hear it. All the, oh, so, so many jokes in a little time. But anyway, folks, <laughs> today, folks, yokes, lots more yokes today. Today, oh, we've got, <laughs> we've got one of our longer-running series, yeah. one of our most popular guests, recurring guests, and clearly, from all the folks already chiming in in the comments and skyboxes, welcome. We're going to try to give you a few shout-outs in a minute. Clearly, they're ready for Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow with Mike Griswold from Gartner. So today, Greg, beyond baseball, beyond folks itching, raring to go, get out, you know, get out and reconnect with folks, which we did a little bit of yesterday, which we really enjoyed. Yep. Today, though, we're talking about with Mike how to make sustainability more sustainable. So this should be a really interesting topic given Mike's purview, right? It is. And, you know, I think we need to recognize that there are different types of sustainability. There is obviously environmental sustainability and fiscal sustainability. And that's what Mike's going to talk about us about with us today. That's right. That uh, because is right. if we want those initiatives to continue, we have to make them viable from a financial standpoint. That is right. So let's do this. Let's shoot through. We got three things we're going to put in front of folks really quick. 
Again, it's about deeds, not words. We're going to say hello to a few folks, and then we'll be bringing Mike into the conversation. So first up, folks, we invite you to join us today at 3 p.m. for our latest weekly working session. This is led by our, our friends over at Vector Global Logistics. It's all about finding ways of leveraging logistics and really global supply chain to help folks in Ukraine. Uh, they are uh, gathering a list of really vetted needs, specific needs in a specific part of the region, and they're finding contributors and resources to get said, said resources to address those needs. So, hey, no obligation. You join us, feel free to join us and sit in and kind of soak up the market intel and to get a really, you know, put your finger on the pulse of what's really going on. But 3 p.m. today, the link is in the comments, and we'd love for you to join us. So there is a practical reason for that. So there is actually a container that we need funding for to send it so that some of these supplies can make it and we need bucks. So I'm going to be making some phone calls today to find some of our colleagues in, you know, in the industry so that we can ship this thing. It's about half paid for the container, I believe. Is that right, Scott? The first one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. I think about half paid for. We need some bucks. We know there's some people out there and some companies with bucks. And in fact, Vector has donated a ton. Yep. I don't know exactly how many dollars. And also, who was it? Who else was it? It was another logistics company that Enrique told us about yesterday that has donated something. It's an important name, so I want to throw down the gauntlet. What I do know is that there's been a variety of resources, services in kind, and direct contributions to help get the stuff that are needed in particular right now, food and medicine are major needs, as you might imagine, school, school supplies, things like that, you know, ongoing needs that all of a sudden, based on what's going on, they become uh, even more urgent. So folks, if nothing else to join us today at 3 PM is in the comments and we'd welcome your support as we find ways to really uh, get meaningful aid over to folks in Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. May 10th, join us for on a much, much lighter note. There's no follow-up to what's going on in Ukraine. It, it, it almost feels silly going from, you know, humanity needs to, to anything else. But with that being said, join us May 10th, uh, 12 in Eastern time, as we partner up with Six River Systems, and they talk about how to solve three very common peak season challenges. May 10th, 12 noon Eastern time, free to join there. And finally, sustainability is key, Scott Luton. Life goes on, and it is it is the fiscal aspect of our world that gives us the ability and viability to fight ruthless, illegal dictators like Vladimir Putin. So <laughs> we have to continue, right? Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. So you can give from what you have, right? Uh, you right. got to have that wherewithal. Um, and then finally, folks, we are overwhelmed. I tell you, the market showed up and delivered for our 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards. Um, I think we had somewhere upwards of 70 nominee uh, nominations, uh, which is going to drive a great gift, a, a financial gift to our friends at Hope for Justice, which is a nonprofit that's tackling modern slavery and human trafficking dead on. Those things continue despite what else you see. And, and they have big needs despite where the world's attention goes. But we want you to join us for May 18th, where we're going to have a two-hour event, virtual event, Revealing all the winners. And we're also going to have Tim Nelson, who leads Hope for Justice, uh, joining us and sharing more uh, perspective, valuable perspective on just how great, how big, how large these travesties are here in our time. So join us. You can learn more at supplychainprocurementawards.com. And you can also find uh, you know, a lot of folks will be joining us via LinkedIn. 
and you can yeah. find the 2022 Supply Chain Procurement Awards there where you can sign up. Where okay. over 500 of your colleagues have already signed up. Already. In, in what? Just a few days. Not even a week, I don't think, yeah. Greg. So I, be I, we, big. it is. And, and we should be. You know, there's nothing. It, few things are as enjoyable as you know, celebrating successes and innovation and folks are really are, are changing and improving industry while tackling and providing visibility and awareness to these incredible, incredibly important nonprofits and the noble missions they're on. So y'all join and us. Because, and because it's an award show, I know what you all are thinking. And there will, because it's a virtual show, there will be no physical slaps. However, I will be attending virtually, so I cannot guarantee that there will be no virtual slaps. <laughs> I love it. I love right. it, Greg. Oh, no, it's hey, good. Sensationalism sells, Scott Luton. <laughs> it does. And that, for I'll a tell good you cause. What, Let's get them there. Talk about things that we'll remember uh, for decades to come. Crazy. Okay, put them up. Uh, put up the Dukes. Okay, really quick. Uh, we're going to be bringing in Mike Griswold with Gartner just in a second, but we want to give a couple shout outs. Josh Goody is back with us from sunny Seattle. Greg, go outside sunny. and take a picture. It's one <laughs> of the most beautiful places on the planet when the sun is shining. It really is. So I'm going to shoot through these really quick, but Josh, great to have you here. Golzar is tuned in from Toronto via LinkedIn. Welcome, welcome. Victor tuned in from Ireland via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Victor. Out of Demola. Thank you very That's much. That's what I'm going with. I yeah. need about seven, I need one more cup of coffee, which will put me right at uh, about 20 for the day. But Ada Demola, great to have you here today. Uh, tuned in from Hull via LinkedIn. Thanks so much. Mohammed, tuned in from Egypt via LinkedIn. Jonathan Walschlager, tuned in from New Jersey via LinkedIn. Hey. I hope I got that right, Greg. Yeah. Michael Jones, I think he's in Salt Lake City. Mm. Bummer, there's no good snow. <laughs> But still, how's that possible? Still a great day. He's going to have to explain that. He will have to explain that. Ola tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Jason T. Hopkins is there. There he is. Thank a you. Bama fan that finds himself in Washington, D.C. Istiak tuned in from Denmark via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Of course, Dr. Rhonda is back with us. Uh, Greg, I think she likes your, your nickname on the front end. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Philippi says, shout out to all lefties. Jonathan. Amen to that? that. Via LinkedIn as well. Go left. Uh, so to the left. Well, hey, I know we couldn't get everybody here today, but welcome. We look forward to your perspective. We're going to be sharing throughout our conversation with the one and only Mike Griswold. And with that said, Greg, let's welcome in uh, Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Amen. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Uh-oh. Oh, there he is. Hey, everyone. Good to see you. How, how are things where you are? Hey. Uh, things are they're great. I'm not too far from Salt Lake City, and we got some snow in the mountains, but uh, I'm not a skier, and I don't know that it would be good skiing here just outside of Boise. But uh, So is that what, do you think yeah, that's what great. he meant? By yes. A good day? Okay, got it. Got yep. it. So I'm uh, doing well. Great to see everyone. Um, I, I, I did a, a presentation a couple of years ago. Fun fact, most people that are ambidextrous actually started out as left-handers uh, really? because they had to learn everything is designed for right-handed people, scissors, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay. I don't know, or as was it Charles Barkley, um, uh, they're amphibious. 
So yes, amphibious. Ambidextrous, they're amphibious. Well, so speaking of Charles Barkley, people we love, of course, we're all big fans of Mike Griswold. I look at what Dr. Rhonda says here, and uh, Mike's Mike's own. He's great. He has a calming and informative vibe. Always okay. learn so much from him. We're with you, uh, Dr. So Rhonda. So I'll, I'll, I'll date myself, Dr. Rhonda. I would have said the check is in the mail, but now I think it's probably what, Venmo? I've got to yeah. Venmo you something Venmo now. Venmo is in your phone, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. There. But thank you. I appreciate that. Love it. Love it. Uh, and let's see here. Michael Jones says, uh, talking about skiing, he doesn't get out of bed for less than eight <laughs> inches of fresh powder. There, <laughs> How about that? Spoken like a true skier. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yes. That hey, right. man, lift tickets are expensive these days. Oh, Mike. yes. Yes. Right? So, yes. Um, all right. So skiing, we've already broken the seal on sports. Yeah. And that's where we're going to start here today before we get into our heavy lifting. Uh, folks, um, so many sports things going on right now, but we're right on the heels of that exciting Kansas, North Carolina yep. final championship game for uh, yep. men's basketball. Mike, a couple of key takeaways from what's a stunning comeback for the Jayhawks, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it was you know uh, the uh, a tale of two cities, right? Best of times, worst of times. If you're a Carolina fan, I think from you know what can you take from a life lessons perspective is is it's really about making adjustments. Yeah, I think we've we've talked in our time together lots of times about how, you know, how do you as an organization make adjustments to to a business plan, to a strategy based on the environment. I think you know it was clear that Kansas made better second half adjustments than North Carolina. Yeah, uh, and it was also clear I think that that Carolina people tend to forget. I think it was three games earlier they blew a twenty five point lead to Baylor and had to win that game in overtime. So as that game started to get closer and closer, I think there certainly had to be some reflecting on North Carolina around, man, are we in the same boat that we were before? You know, to their credit, you know, they rallied and it it went down to the wire. But to, to me, the key to that game was the ability of Kansas to kind of recognize who they were, what got them there, and the ability to get back to that, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, going down low with, with guards and, and forwards, whether it was getting transition points and, and frankly, you know, playing better defense. Um, you know, they got offensive rebounded to death in the first half. Yeah. Um, second chance points were huge for Carolina in the first half. And, and most of that went away in the second half. So mm. to me, that was the key. And, you know, they, they talk a lot about, you know, the NBA is a player's league. I think college is still a coach's league. Uh, the players are becoming more and more prevalent. But I think you saw that in the second half of Kansas with Bill Self, you know, t- drawing on his coaching experience and making the appropriate adjustments. But again, it, I mean, there were 70,000 people there. I think it's I didn't see the ratings. I hope the ratings did well. But if you like an exciting game, hopefully people didn't turn it off at halftime. But my last comment is they need, I saw, and I'm not on Twitter, so I got this indirectly. There were a lot of people upset about the start time, 920 in the East. Anyone that wants to live in mountain time, that's the perfect time zone. Tip off for us was 720. Having yep. said that, you know, the Monday night football moved back by an hour. 
Major League Baseball in the playoffs has done things around time adjustments so you don't lose the East Coast. Um, I think I think basketball, college basketball needs to think about the same thing. Um, for for that game to tip off at 9:20 Eastern to basically lose potentially a good chunk of your audience at halftime because you know people have jobs on Tuesday morning, right? Yeah. I, I really wish they would look at that um, because I think that game had an opportunity to to really reel in more people that right. may have been casual fans, but not at 11:30 at night. And right. if you wanted to stay up to watch one shining moment, that was probably midnight Eastern time. Right. Greg, yeah. I got to, I'll, I'll, I'll own up to it. I didn't watch a single dribble of that game, Greg, but based on what Mike shared, what, what say you? Well, I did. And you, you saw me on Tuesday. I paid for it. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't even have a single cold beer, but I was still beat to death the yeah. next day because of that. So um, I definitely empathize with that and agree with Mike on the time zone thing. And during NFL football, it's also nice yes. to uh, get out of early service and go immediately to watch a football game at 10 p.m. In, yeah. or 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, um, but I think one of the things that, as you were talking about this, Mike, that this really raised, and great job, by the way, tying it back into business and supply chain, because it makes me think of this, that um, – I thought about throughout the entire second half of that game, North Carolina did so very little wrong in that second half of that game. They did not lose that game. That game was wrested out of their hands by Kansas, just absolutely turning on the jets. And, Mm. you know, and it makes me think how often, you know, we've talked about Mike and I love this phrase. We use it all the time rewarding the arsonist in in supply (laughs) chain and we've become so aware of that that we are less proud of being problem solvers and more you know brute for less proud of this sort of brute force overcoming obstacles and more proud of being an intellectual and scientific pursuit that preempts these things and and what that shows what that game showed to me was even when you are very very good when you are you do so very little wrong. You provide just the slightest opening to your opponent and they destroy you with it. Mm. And it's not unlike the supply chain, just that slightest opening, that slightest lack of transparency, that slightest blind spot. You can be doing everything right. And just those few things open the door to catastrophe. And I think, um, look, it happens, Right. Yeah. And, and but I, I think both teams have good reason to be very, very proud with their performance through the entire tournament. And, you know, not only is North Carolina better than than whatever it is, 65 other teams, 64 other teams in the tournament. They're better than 411 other Division one programs or whatever the list yeah. consists of. these. So, days. Scott, if I could real quick, I want to yeah. I want to react to Greg's comment and, and sure. bring it back to kind of a business lesson, because I think, Greg, what you said spurred a thought. Let, let's take a look at the women's side and UConn Stanford. So Friday night, UConn in a game that was unfortunate that someone had to lose. They beat NC State in double overtime. They now have to play the number one seed in Stanford. Gino Oriema talked about at the beginning of the of, of the game in his press conference pregame, he basically said, we have to play really, really well, and Stanford has to help us because Stanford's a better <laughs> team. They have to help us. So the game plays out, UConn wins, and in Gino's postgame, he basically says the same thing. We played really well. 
and Stanford helped us. Stanford shot something like three for 20 from the three-point line, which they right. never do. Right. The, the message I take away from that is, as a business, every day you need to wake up thinking, how am I not going to help the competition? How am I not going to give them something that gives them point. an advantage? And, and to me, when, when I heard you talk about, you're right, North Carolina really didn't do anything overt to lose that game. Kansas made adjustments and Kansas went out and took it. If I contrast that to the UConn-Stanford women's game, Stanford didn't shoot well, Stanford had some, some brain cramps, and UConn took advantage of all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, I mean, th- for the most part, they were in control of that game, which probably should not have been the case. And to me, that's a huge business lesson. Do not give people an opportunity to kind of get into your space, to get into your business, to get into your functionality, because good companies, in the case of like UConn, right, if you give them an opportunity like Kansas, they're going to take advantage of it. And then you've got all kinds of problems. Hmm. So uh, see, how, see how he did that? Yeah, I turned on a basketball <laughs> game and no. Nope. A business class broke out. How about that? <laughs> so true. Um, it is so true. Yeah. I mean, art it imitates life, right? And it does. and sport imitates business, and vice versa. So yeah. Absolutely. So uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip. I want to yeah. skip over, of course, the uh, Augusta Nationals yeah. hosting a, a little little known golf tournament this week. Knows <laughs> yeah. um, Tiger Woods may be back. Uh, yeah. We talked about that pre-show. Really quick, because I, I think I think speaking of optimism, we're going to be talking about sustainability and getting some really good stuff from Mike Griswold here in just a moment. But I don't want to skip over this National Day of Hope. Today is the the National Day of Hope here in the states, which um, you know there's no shortage of things of problems that we're all hoping find solutions, permanent solutions, sustainable solutions. But give us, I want I want to ask you both to give us some good news, some succinct. Good news, so we can we can dive headfirst into sustainability. What's an observation you have based on some of the companies that you are tracking or rubbing elbows with? You name it, Mike. That really gives you some some hope for um, moving ahead. Yeah, I, I think you know we 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 talked kind of pre-show about you know we're in the middle of our top twenty-five season, and we we've had um, as part of the process we had fifty companies give us briefings around their supply chain. And, and what they're proud of within their supply chain. And if I reflect yep. on those briefings and I reflect on kind of the themes that came out this year compared to previous years, a lot more companies are talking a lot more, I think rightfully so, and a, and a lot um, more proud of the things that they're doing in sustainability and in DE&I. There, there is just so much activity in a lot of organizations in those two areas. And I think what what gives me hope is it's more than just kind of we've got to check these boxes. We have to talk about sustainability and we have to talk about DEI because people expect us to. We're talking about them because we truly believe that that a more diverse company makes us a better company, right? We have data that suggests that companies that are more diverse have better financial performance, right? So, it, 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 to Greg's earlier, you know, intro about kind of the the business value of these things, you know, the hope that I have is people not only are seeing things like sustainability and DEI as the right thing to do, 
they've also started to connect the dots that, oh, by the way, there, there, there's an intrinsic business value in doing this as well. That, in those two areas, that, that's the hope that I have just based on what I'm starting to see. Love that, Mike. Uh, Greg? I know it doesn't always sound like it, but I am hopelessly hopeful. So um, I, I mean, I, I always have hope. I don't always express hope. Usually I express the inverse that would dash said hope, but, but I'm always, you know, I always believe that there's, op- there's opportunity for improvement here. And, um, you know, I think, gosh, if there, it's hard to pick out a single company that really inspires me, but I think one of the things that I've seen is um, so many people through their companies or by their companies, Vector Global Logistics is a great example, Enrique Alvarez and his team there, um, taking the initiative that we talked about at the top of the show, uh, other companies that are working, um, you know, to help the people of Ukraine or whatever their, um, you know, whatever their initiatives are, the, the uh, Global Supply Chain and Procurement Awards specifically funding every single dollar to hope for justice, to end human slave, slavery and trafficking. Um, you know, those are the ones that just the ones that I'm kind of involved in every single day, but there are tons of them out there. And, uh, just the fact that, um, companies are run by people and people are really who drive these initiatives is what really gives me hope. There are people, there are many, many people who care and, um, and are taking action, right? Right. Turning that caring into deeds, not words to quote some great philosopher that I work with every day, Scott. Luke. Um, and I think that's so encouraging, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you. It, um, action is what it's all about. The world can talk about the, the entire business community can talk about what should happen, what needs to happen. Uh, the folks are suffering and some, you know, but it's about the action itself. It's about those deeds and those examples. You said, Greg, wonderful examples. Uh, you know, we were together yesterday with a bunch of folks that, that act, take action to give back, whether it's donating to lo- local, their expertise, to local food banks, whether it's donating some of their, uh, some of their um, content gen to outstanding causes. We even talked about a, um, a Juneteenth museum down in Galveston that is, uh, um, got some right. really big news coming up, but it's about taking action. Now, let me add, um, Adi Demola is a big fan uh, of what both of y'all are sharing on your analysis. Going probably going back to the basketball game, comfort uh, also enjoys. Uh, imagine that folks showing up here for some analysis, sports and otherwise. But comfort, uh, thank you for that. And Rhonda says, "Sounds like being mindful of not letting our guard down in the workplace. Important to show up ready each day, fuel with a desire to kick some butt, even if we stayed up way too late, Greg, and maybe be feeling." <laughs> The mental, mental and physical consequences of lower True. energy, pushing through and still be the best you can be. Easier to call in sick, but that won't serve us well in the long haul. Dr. Rhonda, bringing it. Love yeah, it. Bringing it as usual. So, yeah. so sorry, Scott. I, yeah. I know we, we didn't script this, but I want to react to that. And just maybe my last, because obviously, you know, I love to talk about basketball. I, I do want to bring Dr. Rhonda's comment into Greg's comment about, about kind of bringing your A game every day. UConn, and again, 
Yeah, I, 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 as people will now know, I love UConn women's basketball. <laughs> they, they, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they went through a whole bunch of, of adversity this year from an injury perspective. And they had, for the first time in Gino's career, I think he had 11 different starting lineups over a two-month period, which if you watch UConn, that never happens. There's five mm. starters probably for four years. The reason I bring that up is, is everyone had to figure out a new role and everyone had to embrace that new role. The business lesson there is, is within your organization, people need to know their roles, but you also need to have people who are who are able to stretch their role mm, and, yes. and be able to buy into what their role is, whatever it might be, however big or however small, because you never know when your small role will become a huge role which is what happened to UConn. And I think that that's an important lesson for companies as well and for individuals, right? Individuals in, in your own organization, understanding what your role is, do it to the best of your ability and look for opportunities to stretch your role. Yeah. Well said, well said. And so much great commentary between the two of y'all and all, all in the comments and folks, yeah. y'all keep it coming. We want to, we want to bring that into the conversation as we, as we move now into sustainability and in particular uh, making sustainability more sustainable right <laughs> so as simple as that sounds it's still you, you, we need to call time out and stop and think about that right um so we've already got some questions and comments and we'll get to those in a minute but mike i want to i want to give you let you start with the opening salvo right so sure. what are some things you're seeing what are some observations you have out there with uh, organizations that are doing just that making their sustainability more sustainable yeah, I think um, let me just maybe give people a real quick context, and I promise yeah. it will not it will not be within the context of UConn basketball. <laughs> so um, I, I I became a today's team supply chain now live stream yeah. brought to you by the UConn That's right. Huskies. You, UConn <laughs> Huskies. That's right. Um, so about a year, year and like 15 months ago, I became a TM and a team manager. And we recently went through some reorg, uh, and on April 1st, my team now can, is focused in two areas, supply chain talent and sustainability. So I've had, I'm learning a lot more about sustainability, um, than, than I knew in the past. And it's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk a little bit about it today, but it's also the reason that, as I mentioned, the pre-show, I've got a bunch of notes because this is a, this is a new area for me, but to your question, um, Scott and Greg, you, when I look at organizations that are doing this, well, a couple things have happened. They, they recognize that there needs to be an intersection between macro supply chain trends, like inflation increasing shareholder expectations around what we're going to do from a same sustainability perspective, right? We've got data to suggest that there is a growing trend of people wanting to engage with more sustainable companies and more sustainable products and doing that via their wallet, right? Voting with their wallet around companies and products. And then, and then the other macro trend is, is how do we kind of scale that um, from an impact perspective, the intersection, though, between those trends that affect the entire supply chain and sustainability are in areas like climate change, right? How do we, how do we understand the effect of climate change as it relates to the supply chain? Long-term resource preservation. And then one of the areas that we're really getting into, and in fact, I have on my team an open 
job requisition for a sustainability technology analyst, what's the role that technology is going to play in that convergence of the macro trends and these sustainability trends? And when I think about technology, I really think there, and would love Greg's view on this, I think technology as it relates to sustainability is really on in in two paths that are not they're not mutually exclusive in fact they're probably concurrent what type of technology can make me more sustainable and secondly what type of technology helps me understand how sustainable am i right from a reporting perspective so you know companies that are doing this well are are recognizing that we have to intersect these overarching macro supply chain trends with these emerging sustainability trends and and how do we do that knowing more and more people are watching this and more and more people are willing to vote with their wallet around mm-hmm. how well you answer that second portion around those sustainability trends. So that was my first observation, um, Scott and Greg, around where I'm seeing and how I'm seeing companies navigate that this this intersection. I love that, Greg. Yeah, I think uh, technologies and processes uh, are critical to um, to creating more sustainability in company supply chains. And supply chain is one of the biggest contributors to both goodness and badness in in right. sustainability and so many other ESG initiatives. So I think, we have an incredibly huge responsibility there, but also an incredible awareness. And strangely, I think, guys, that awareness has become higher as we've had the, I'm not going to call it a distraction, but we've had our mind on other things yes. like COVID. Um, right. And somehow we have elevated the awareness of of sustainability and, and human rights and fair trade and all of those things during this time. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think that is huge to your, uh, you know, to your point around the technology that helps you verify or understand mm-hmm. your contribution to goodness or badness in terms of sustainability. Absolutely critical. Look, just like anything else in supply chain, blind spots are bad, right? Lack of transparency. You know, we talk about what's the number one question in supply chain right now, Scott Luton, you, where's my you. stuff? Where's yeah. my stuff? Where's my stuff? The other thing is, you know, as long as you're asking that question, how much fuel is my stuff costing, right? right? Whose lives is it impacting? Uh, what sources are being used, right? All of those things um, are, are areas where we need transparency. So, yes, I think anything, Mike, that contributes to the transparency and the accountability, and I don't necessarily mean like legal or even compliance. Right accountability, just understanding that you are making an impact, it's good or it's bad, and to what extent it is either, is incredibly valuable technology. And um, I mean, absolutely mission critical to it. The other thing is, and I think this, this is not higher than sustainability, but this goes to the global uh, supply chain craft, and that is we have to understand where we are being efficient or inefficient, wasteful or thrifty or otherwise um, in order to assure that we are, are appropriately are appropriately contributing to sustainability. And that transparency la- is lacking even within an enterprise, much less in, in this global supply chain that we have today. So I think that 
is job one, is understanding who you're doing business with, how they do business, um, how much control, impact, or, um, or oversight you can have of them and of yourself to assure that you're contributing appropriately to sustainability. Well said. Think, really yeah, quick, I, Mike, before you continue there, really yeah. quick, I think, I think for, for uh, background, uh, for all of our listeners, if they're not aware yet, uh, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals via the United Nations, and both of you are speaking to how holistic uh, and how integrated into everything you're doing that your sustainability um, approach must be. I think that that offers up a great background for folks that may not have hit their radar yet. But, Mike, you were going to uh, comment on yeah. Greg's take there. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I noticed in our top 25 companies is, you know, you're seeing more and more companies while they're while they're offering obviously a physical supply chain, they're also offering, <clears throat> excuse me, a services supply chain, whether that's things in the cloud, whatever it might be. And, and you're seeing a growth in in data centers. What yeah. I what I've observed is more and more companies internally discussing kind of the ramifications of some of those decisions like, okay, we now need more data centers. Well, guess what? Data centers, you know, if you're left to their own devices, aren't necessarily the most efficient uses of energy. Right. But in that same conversation that, that we're having with these companies that say, hey, we're looking to services and, and maybe we're looking to expand our presence in data centers, in that same breath, they're saying, and oh, by the way, Here's how we're going to power these data centers, right? We're going to go to much more renewable energy. We're going to look at alternative sources of driving energy within the data center. So three or four years ago, I think people would have said, yeah, let's have more data centers and, and not necessarily think about the unintended, unintended consequences of that from a sustainability perspective. Yeah. Now, I think people have definitely connected those dots. And they recognize that if if our business model is going to evolve to a services, data-intensive, data center orientation, we have a responsibility to talk about how are we going to power those data centers. And I see a lot more people talking about that, which is good. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to yeah, throw out um, David. Uh, has uh, he was also let me, let me go back he, he was also talking earlier about basketball third year big 12 team has been in the championship game won it two years in a row all different teams david a lot of good stuff there big 12 is showing some some basketball prowess for sure uh, which means wanna, people can stop complaining about the sec being in the football <laughs> finals every year as well there you go there you go don't say it mike don't you even well, go there no, and and we can also you know stop whining about how uh, how we thought the ACC was down given they right. had half of the Final Four. But no kidding, great, great observation on the Big Twelve. Yeah, that's right. Um, but then more to the point, uh, we're talking about sustainability. He he poses a couple of interesting questions, and I'd love to get both of y'all to kind of weigh in on this because uh, this is kind of where I think the sustainability movement is trying to find more traction globally, right? And when it comes to accountability for organizations, right? Um, so, so he says sustainability, the concept is fabulous. Again, this is David uh, Klustra. How is it being measured and what are key industry benchmarks that have teeth? 
any any comments there? And, and Mike, I'll start with you, and then I'll, I'll circle back to Greg. Yeah, th- this is definitely a new area for me. I, it, David, if you want to reach out, I think we've got a research note that we wrote about emerging sustainability metrics. So hmm. I don't have anything really top of mind. It's a great question. Greenhouse gas emission seems to be one of the big ones that that's coming up. Um, getting to um, you know net carbon, net zero seems to be another one. But I, I think to be fair, it is still an emerging area from an industry perspective. I think around what those metrics are and and what are the ones that that really kind of drive value versus, you know, get a lot of media attention, but maybe aren't to Greg's earlier comments, Maybe they aren't the best indicator of driving improved business performance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think at Gartner, what we're trying to find is that balance, right? And and help our clients with, here's a set of metrics that not only kind of convey outwardly your commitment to sustainability, but they also actually drive value for you as a business. Mm. And you know, my, my last observation would be that that's definitely the right question to ask around the metrics to Greg's comment about visibility and transparency. You know, without the metrics, you have no idea if you're going in the right direction. You have no idea if you're doing the right stuff. So I think it, it's, it's not the specific answer I wish I could give, but there's more to come in this area. And it, it's definitely the right question to be asking around. How do we know what good looks like? Yeah. I love that. I appreciate your honesty there. And uh, I like one of the your comments, your key comments you made there. It's got to fit into the business because it goes mm-hmm. back to what Greg was saying earlier. If it's just sustainable, uh, sustainability to be sustainable and it doesn't impact the business bottom line, it's not going to be sustainable and, and we're not going to be able to drive as much good. Uh, so I love what both of you are sharing. Before, Greg, I come to you, I got to bring in this comment. Uh, I think this is Edward. Edward says, I love that you guys are mixing up sports. And it looks like he wants us to talk a little more about music. Hey, we're, we'll, maybe we'll hit on music <laughs> next. Uh, Greg is always very musical in his uh, commentary here today. But Greg, speak to uh, David's uh, questions, if you would, or what Mike just shared. Yeah, well, like anything on the international stage, there is very little that has actual teeth, right? International law in and of itself does not have teeth because there is not actually an enforcing agency. So, um, but I, I got to tell you, I have... Again, hopelessly hopeful. I have, I have kind of a vision towards the future that goes to my least favorite of our government agencies in the States, the IRS, and, and a tactic used by most people's least favorite agency in the United States, the U.S. Uh, Customs and Border Patrol. Um, but what they do that I think is a great business model for the future is they assume you are noncompliant until you prove that you are. And to date, we have accepted plausible deniability, right? We have uh, allowed companies to sort of go under the radar with their indiscretions and, and, you know, and inequities and, and unsustainability and in some cases outright criminal activity. But I think if we flip the script there and we assume at some point somehow the community comes together and assumes you are non-compliant unless you prove that you are, that will create the ultimate accountability. I've talked about this in some of the commentaries that I've done um, on LinkedIn, where we assume you are not a good member of the club unless you show us that you are, Mm. right? Um, 
that's that's powerful, and 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 we're seeing that uh, that that uh, wheel turning in a, in a variety of different areas, including sustainability. I want to add uh, Femi. I want to add a couple quick comments, and we're, we're kind of we're moving fast, and we still want to get some updates from Mike on some other cool things at Gartner. Uh, Femi enjoyed an earlier comment. I think that Greg mentioned uh, what life is the product impacting. Understanding who you do business with is so yeah. key. There, Femi, excellent point. Bashir says, from my point of view. Sustainability should be part of company culture, the same as quality. Any efforts to implement sustainability at any company are going to fail without everyone's contributions. Bashir, excellent point. Yeah, great. Um, if I could react to that real yeah. quickly, it's an excellent observation. And what I what I have seen, my sense is, Greg, you and Scott have seen it as well. If we rewind the clock five years any sustainability discussion was coming from a corporate communications office, right? Yeah. Th- that, right. And that's the same PR, that's basically. Ta- right. right. It's the same person that's talking about recalls. That's the same person that's talking about, you know, we're launching these new products. Fast forward to today, and I would suggest most organizations have now embedded some form of sustainability in the business, whether that's in the supply chain, it could be in product development. It could be in multiple parts, but we've moved it from kind of this, this, you know, talking head environment to the people that are actually making it work. And I think that's a huge step for us over the last four or five years. And I think to your point, Greg, it starts to demonstrate commitment Um, by moving it into line of business. We're starting to signal how important it is to us. Yep. Well, I think Gartner has played an important role there because you've shifted how you create accountability vis-a-vis the top 25, right? Right. You've shifted it from, are you saying you're doing the right thing to, are you building organizations and, you know, and actions that, that, that move you the right direction. So I I think you, you guys play a large part in that as an independent analyst organization in being able to instill those qualities in companies who want to be ranked high for having a great company and great supply chain. I, I appreciate that, Greg. For the, for the, the evaluation that doing, we're doing now for 2022, our ESG component is 20% of the methodology. Wow. 20%. Yeah. That's huge. It's, it's, it's important. And, and it, it, people are telling us in our community that it's important. And you know, we want to reflect that in the methodology. Right. Um, well okay. I want to get to a couple quick comments, and then I want to get an update on the top 25, sure. uh, Mike, and sure. the Supply Chain Symposium that's coming up in yeah. uh, Orlando right around the corner. Really quick, uh, Josh is talking about the best part of COVID restrictions is it's being lifted in Seattle. The music scene is back on and running nice. free. Awesome, Josh. Um, Break out the That's right. Uh, Adi Damola says, talking about the introduction of technology into a business to help it understand how sustainable it is, to what extent can it go without negatively impacting its profit? Having in mind that triple bottom line, kind of going back to it's got to benefit the business as well for it to be as as powerful and impactful as possible. Um, Mike, uh, Greg, respond to that really quick, Greg, if you would, because you were talking about technology uh, earlier. I think I think sustainability is much like supply chain these days. Formerly, supply chain was that necessary evil. Then, Mike, you and I talked about it. Seems like a decade ago, being uh, a, 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 a competitive differentiation. Yep. Now, 
it, sustainability, and supply chain are primary contributors to your brand equity, to the esteem of your company. And you have to acknowledge that not only does sustainability, like supply chain, impact your bottom line, but it can also impact your top line. If you don't deliver, for instance, through your supply chain, people stop coming to buy stuff from you. Right. Likewise, with supply chain, as Mike talked about a little bit earlier, if if you don't represent, if you don't present, and you don't uh, deliver on sustainability, you can't you can't just apply the impact of your sustainability efforts to your bottom line. You have to uh, you have to apply some accretive effect to your top line as well, because it will help increase or at least maintain your top line if you are a good actor in terms of sustainability. Well, nice. it's, it's also it's also Greg a huge. Uh, I shouldn't say huge. It's becoming to certain demographics. It's becoming part of their hiring decision. Do I want to go work for this company? Part right. of that decision is the sustainability, um, you know, face that these companies put forward. And we all know that there is an incredible challenge now in finding talent. Mm. And I think over time we're going to look back and say that that sustainability perspective that someone talks about with with new employees or potential employees that the importance of that i think is just going to grow in terms yep. of that being more and more important to people especially now in an environment where you can work almost anywhere right yep. okay uh let's see here uh femi also enjoyed uh, the industry benchmarks question uh that david shared uh ronda's talking about how we can certainly all seem or even feel guilty until proven innocent with some governmental reg regulations. Excellent point. Uh, Michael says it's a lot easier getting buy-in now that more people yeah. are aware of what sustainability is and how mm -hmm. it can benefit the organization. That was not the case five to 10 years ago. Excellent point there. Likewise with supply chain, by Huge the way. Point. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay. the, the other, I mean, Michael's point's fantastic because the other thing it does is when, when you look around kind of the virtual room at your competitors, right? You do not want to be the least sustainable person in that room, right? right. So in some ways, I think some of the people that, that moved first in these areas around sustainability, they kind of lifted the water for, lifted the boats for everybody. Right. And now it's, you know, I, I don't want to look around the room and be the least sustainable person here, right? So I think that that peer pressure uh, I read a book by a Navy SEAL that said peer pressure can make you do two things. It can make you smoke cigarettes. It can make you defuse bombs. I think peer <laughs> pressure in this area, okay. right, does the same thing, right? Yeah, it can force bombs. Yeah. you to be more yeah. sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Questionably. Love that. Uh, you remember the name of that book, Mike? Uh, I do not, but, but okay. I can find it for you. Yeah, yeah we'll it see. It was very good. <laughs> Okay. All right. So as we're coming down the home stretch, uh, there's so much more to the sustainability conversation. As we all know, it's tough to get in, you know, in, in, in a 20 minute segment, but uh, we'll have, of course, Mike back. Mike joins us typically the first Wednesday of each month. We've been doing a show with Mike for, uh, I want to say a couple of years now, Mike. Um, yeah. yeah forever. Yeah. I, I really enjoy uh, spending time with you and Greg, obviously. I enjoy spending time with the people that carve out time for us. So I, I really enjoy doing this. Well, you know, I've earned a PhD from those two years uh, <laughs> with you and Greg, so I enjoyed it as well. Um, so let's give some folks some some things to be on the lookout for. Sure. Of course, the Gartner Top Twenty Five uh, Supply Chain List is is always uh, something we all look forward to. We all love our lists. We all love supply chain, and yes. gosh, I put those two things together. It always provides benchmarking opportunities, things to do, things not to do. 
Uh, Mike, what's the latest with, with, with the top 25? Yeah, so we're we're in the midst of of top twenty five season now. It will culminate uh, if people wanted to mark this on their calendars. May twenty sixth at nine a.m. Eastern is the reveal. So we the the last couple of years we've done a reveal via webinar. Uh, we're averaging you know two to three thousand people uh, on the webinar. Um, so that that will be the first review uh, reveal of our 2022 list, the top 25 in the Masters. Uh, the research published shortly thereafter. Uh, our symposium is uh, June 6th. Uh, we're planning on doing that in person in Orlando. Um, it's going to run the 6th, the 7th, and I think a half day on the 8th. So Monday, Tuesday, yep. Wednesday. Tuesday evening, um, myself and another analyst are doing a presentation on, you know, kind of what have we learned from these companies? You know, we're calling it, you know, lessons from leaders, but we would have already done the reveal. So it's really going to be a quick, hey, in case you missed it, here's our top 25 and our masters. But what people tell us they get a lot out of is what can I learn from these companies? Yeah. So we'll talk about, you know, the three macro trends that we saw emerge in these companies. We'll talk about some of the traits that they have. And then we'll share some examples uh, of what uh, companies have done in our top 25 uh, in those areas. So Love it. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, I'm so looking forward to getting back in person uh, yes. for our event. Uh, hopefully people are as excited as we are about getting back in person. And where's that event? Mike? It's in Orlando uh, at the Dolphin and Swan. You know, we for anyone that's been you know with us on this journey, you know, we we just literally outgrew Phoenix um, way back in time. Uh, it was yep. at the Phoenician, then it went to the JW Marriott, and now it's the same venue that Gartner uses for the IT Symposium uh, and for some of their other big events. So it's a it's a very good venue. I haven't been there yet, but a uh, good venue. Um, and, and logistics should be good because we've been there multiple times. So I, I'm really excited for that. We are an too. important and motivating factor, Mike. Uh, any reports that you have received on the golf course? I have. I have. I I made myself a note yesterday and, and missed it to go look at the website to see what golf course is there and how close it is. Um, you know, obviously we were spoiled in Phoenix with having right. you know courses right at the Phoenician and right at the Marriott. So. Hopefully there's something that's, you know, navigatable for me uh, in Orlando. Undoubtedly. Okay. Hey, really quick. Uh, sure. Ischak has a great point here. Uh, besides introducing technology, which basically provides efficiency, less distorted data, visibility of supply chain, et cetera, it's also important to consider supplier optimization, modes of transportation, and inventory control systems, et cetera. All of those important factors as you holistically try to power your sustainability um, yeah, uh, initiatives that, forward. That's a great point. One of the things, yeah. I think it was to Edward's earlier comment around the metrics, one of the things that's definitely emerging as a quasi-metric is, is how well can an organization influence their upstream partner's sustainability goals. It's one thing for me to have my sustainability goals. Chances are I need my supplier's help to deliver my sustainability goals, we're finding more and more companies working really hard to get the, that transference between what their sustainability goals and what their suppliers are. Walmart 
partly because of who they are, right? Walmart is working really hard at this with their suppliers. And I think doing a good job of, of kind of cascading, which probably isn't the right way to say it, but cascading up what they want their supplier sustainability goals to be that align with theirs. So that's a great connection and a great observation. Okay. So we talked top 25. We talked about supply chain symposium. Who knows? We may see you down there, Mike. Uh, I do know big thanks to you, Karai Kose and the whole Gartner team for bringing in Tim Nelson with hope for justice. He's got an incredible message that I think is going to open up a lot of folks eyes. So thank y'all to the Gartner team for making that happen. And big thanks for joining us here today. Uh, How can folks connect with Mike Griswold? Uh, LinkedIn and, and, and really I encourage people cause I'm still relatively old school. Just send me an email, right? I, I, I'm still an email guy, uh, mike.griswold at gardner.com. I'm happy to, to help, uh, in any way I can. And, and I enjoy spending time with, with everyone, um, on these sessions. So I'm already looking forward to May. Wonderful. Well, big thanks to the one and only Mike Griswold. Uh, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. We hope to see you. Look forward to seeing you next month. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right. So there will be a quiz, uh, I believe, Greg, um, on uh, everything that you and Mike and everyone in the comments. We had a bunch of great comments here today. In fact, I'm going to try to share a couple more before we we wrap. But I want to ask you the trillion dollar question. You know, inflation's a inflation's a beast these days tell me um, about it what is what is if you had to pick one or two things that great uh, that mike shared here today what are a couple of your favorites well i mean it's not it's not as much what he said as what gartner is doing um it is twofold one they are they are um increasing the visibility of sustainability in their evaluation of supply chains and again as i said is the unquestionably most respected analyst organization on the planet as regards technology, supply chain, and other aspects of business, that is a huge move on their part. It's impossible to overstate how impactful that is because everyone in industry, whether they are a practitioner like Walmart or they are a service provider like SAP, they are all courting the favor of Gartner because Gartner, because of their integrity, because of the obviously the quality of their people, as you see from Mike, the quality of research that's provided to them and and their neutrality, right? Their complete and utter objectivity. I think they create such an incredible credibility matrix. Incredible credibility? Is that I, love, I was going to go with it. I was going yeah. with it. Uh, 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 incredible credibility uh, statement. And, and when they put their efforts towards trying to drive an industry a certain direction, that industry has to respond. Yes. So that action, that small, relatively seemingly small action um, that they have undertaken is going to be hugely impactful. So I think that is the number one thing that I see here. The other thing that I see, by the way, is Mike saying, and we all know what quality individual Mike is, former practitioner, right? Longtime analyst, obviously an authority and guide to so many companies in the supply chain already when he says he's not that familiar with with sustainability and then he brings it like he did today i think that again goes to the quality of of person that mike griswold is i've known him for a long time i've seen it in person actually in person i mean like physically in person um and here even more so um 
you know, amazing. So uh, those are those are two two big impacts. Agreed. I, I agree with you. Um, I want to spring in a couple of final comments, and we're going to wrap here today. Our friend Jenny Patsloff is with us. She really enjoyed the connection between leadership and basketball. That was a that was worth a full. We we could have done a full blown couple hour episode. We just on that. got started. Yeah. Um, great. We lessons. spent almost the whole pre-show talking about that, right? We did. That is right. We got a full-blown analysis. Uh, uh, she says, great lessons from Coach K at Duke in his last year as well. And on sustainability, she just heard some great advice from a chief supply chain officer at a large company. Make it a priority or it will be a burden. Excellent point there. Talk about burdens. We know. I'm not going to mention any names, but it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> beasts and burdens and and um, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. I tell you, it's an obstacle course across global business right now. Uh, Dr. Rhonda, thanks for your feedback. Really enjoyed your perspective throughout today's show. Yeah. Um, so keep it coming. Uh, Greg, always a pleasure. Mike is a home run uh, each and every time. Really enjoy, yeah. you know, kind of what Dr. Rhonda said it was saying on the front end. We hear that about Mike all the time, which which is a is why we invest in a series. He always yeah. brings it. Um, folks, one more time. And hey, uh, y'all, y'all just forgive me for beating the dead horse, but hey, we talked about taking action throughout the whole hour here today. And this is an easy opportunity. All you got to do is click on the, the uh, registration link and then just sit and listen. Just soak it in. You never know what epiphany you might have that will put you in prime position to help folks in need in Ukraine, Poland, and elsewhere. So today, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Join us for leveraging logistics for Ukraine. Okay, Greg, that does it for us today. Great to see you and the whole gang yesterday. Well, we had a lot of the gang, not everybody. Uh, we were missing Kelly and Billy and a few others, right. uh, Mary Kate and and Allison, you name it. But we had a wonderful time enjoying each other's camaraderie, knocking out some uh, some uh, video shoots, and um, stay tuned for big things to come. Uh, Greg, hopefully we can beat the rain this afternoon. We'll see. But, uh, folks, be sure to join us Friday. We're going to be sitting down with Stephanie Stuckey live at 12 noon Eastern time. We're going to be talking about two of the – I can't wait to get Stephanie and Greg together talking about fundraising and making sure everyone has access to capital, that that, right. that critical capital that we all need to grow and, and to do as much uh, good as, as possible. Right, Greg? Yeah, I, I'm look, really looking forward to it. It's fascinating to kind of follow Stephanie's story of effect, effectively saving the family business. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw an article that she mentioned where she was like seventh in line to do so, and it wasn't until nobody else would do it that she was frankly compelled, I think, by her own, you know, her own initiative to, right. to take the reins, right? We, along those lines, Greg? What I also have gathered from Stephanie, and 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 she's gonna, we're calling it unscripted on Friday. You're gonna, I mean, it's gonna be frank. Uh, folks, bring your questions. She wants to tackle them. She's gonna be very. Uh, it's gonna be a very transparent session. But Greg, along those lines that you were just sharing, she had a very close family member, I believe. I'll let her talk about it on Friday. That said, you can't do this, and I'll be darned. They very are doing close. it. And then some. So, folks, join us 12 noon Eastern time for intriguing live stream there. On behalf of Greg White, big thanks to our production team, Catherine, Amanda, Chantel. Y'all knocked it out today, as always. Big thanks to what you do. But, folks, whatever you do, if you can't join us at 3, if you can't uh, do one of the other things we talked about here today, 
just find a way, find a way to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. On that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. With my left hand. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.